Live from the hills of Judea is the Land of Israel Fellowship with Rabbis Ari Abramowitz and Jeremy Gimpel. Shalom, everybody. Welcome. Welcome to the Land of Israel Fellowship. It is so good to see you guys. So good to be back. Last week was head spinning. <laughs> Teal and I came back from this whirlwind tour of London. I taught six times. Tehillah taught seven times. Obviously, she taught more than me because she's more popular than me. She's prettier than me. She's smarter than me. They immediately got that in London and they wanted to hear from her. And we just like, so just from the morning until the night, I think Tila, we arrived there at 10 o'clock at night. They're already speaking to young professionals and I think a nine o'clock at night class. We came back. I mean, the whole time it was amazing. Bringing, bringing the light of Judea to the United Kingdom. What an opportunity. The people we met there. We came back to the farm on Monday and then we prepared ourselves for, I think the most touching Brit circumcision of Ari's first boy, it was the most touching breed that I've ever been in. I mean, it was the first breed on the farm ever. The first boy born on our mountain. Um, and then in perfect timing after that, out of nowhere, a Jew from America came to the farm more than a year ago and the farm touched his heart so much and it never let go. And you know, you never know what's gonna happen. People come to the farm all the time. And I see a lot of people that love it, but you just don't know what the impact will be. And then his father passed away and he decided to commission a Sefer Torah written in his memory. And then he wanted to put that eternal Torah in our house of prayer. And so from Simcha to Simcha, from celebration to celebration, it was like we were putting the diamond in the crown. <laughs> it was just the most amazing thing. And in perfect Ari and Jeremy timing, we finished the doors of the Ark the morning of, the morning that we're in the Sefer Torah, we finished the doors and I'm not exaggerating when I say that it's the most beautiful Aron Kodesh that I've ever seen in my life, made literally from the olive trees of this area. It's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. I took a few pictures and I just wanted to show you what our new Aron looks like with the Torah in it. And you can see, um, we that's one picture also when it's lit up at nighttime, when you put the light behind the Aron, it like lights up like a sapphire. <laughs> it's just gorgeous. It's so beautiful. <laughs> and so that was just, um, I, I can't tell you what it felt like dancing with the Torah in my arms around the top of the mountain, dancing it into our house of prayer. It's like almost seven years of work, of building, of paving the roads, of another stone in another tree and building and building and building this body. And then it felt like we brought the spirit, the purpose and the mission of the Arugot farm into the house of prayer. It was just such a climactic moment. And with that, I want to start our fellowship off with a prayer to try to bring those experiences to all of you, to bring us all together and to use this opportunity as a chance to open our hearts and uh, pour them out before Hashem. Hashem, master of the world, thank you for today. Thank you for this fellowship. Thank you for bringing us together. Bless everyone in this fellowship as much as they bless me and beyond. They are our support. They are our anchor. They are our partners. They are our branches that are rooted here in Judea and that are spreading across the world. Help us bring your fruit of blessing and light to the ends of the earth. The more the world on the outside becomes shaky, windy, unstable, the deeper we need to go, the more we need to ground ourselves in your ways. Guide us on the path. Empower us to go beyond our perceived abilities and our limitations. Give us the strength to be stronger, the courage to be braver, the character to be honest and to live our truth. As we learn today, help us walk with you and serve as agents of your light in the world. May the Torah we learn in our heads be etched in our hearts. Bless this fellowship. Bless every family and their loved ones. We open our hearts and our eyes to see your guidance today. Guide us on the path of blessing. Amen. Okay, so I told you about our week. And the star of the week was Ari. That's the truth. He was the star. And he was the one that connected this Jew from New York that brought the Sefer Torah. It was his prince that was born on the mountain. And I just watching Ari with his first son on his father's lap, who needed help getting out of his wheelchair to hold his first grandson with his family name Abramowitz on his knees. It was like my eyes were malfunctioning. I mean, just like uncontrollable tears. 
Like my whole face was wet with tears, streams that were just coming out of my eyes. I just, there was no matter what I did, I couldn't, it was just waterworks, just like pouring out of my eyes. You can't stop tears. I tried, I tried to stop them, but it was just, it was like overload, overload, short circuit, short circuit, tears. Like my, my eyes were just malfunctioning. It was just so overwhelming. And so um, I just wanna bring Ari on to just share a little bit so you guys can be so tapped in and so connected. And I think that's really the added value that this fellowship has that no other place has in all of the world. You are so a part of our family and so a part of our mission and so a part of our mountain and so a part of our lives that it's not just we're learning together and praying together, but we're really living this destiny out together. So I just want Ari and I are broadcasting together here today. Um, something happened with his internet. So we're together on my computer. So I'm going to bring Ari on and then he can sort of share his story from his perspective. Shalom, friends. Can you hear me? Give me some thumbs up. Okay. Fellowship hijacked. That is what is just happening right now because I have really a lot to share with you. Um, you know, I, I can't remember a time in which there was more blessing raining down in abundance, not just on me and my family, but on our mountain, on the farm, just on Arugot. I was actually planning on spending the day just crafting this well-produced clip with pictures and videos to share with all of you. But last night when I was falling asleep, uh, I, rose, I was reminded that a while back, I didn't know how things would turn out time-wise. I, I committed to join this VIP tour of East Jerusalem. I originally committed to joining this tour because of my deep desire that I've shared with you guys to stay connected to the nation as a whole you know, the ups and downs of the Jewish people and not get lost on our mountaintop on our own dramatic journey uh, of what we're experiencing, but to really stay connected with the whole um, with the whole nation. And so uh, for the pain and the joy, everything else, so I committed to joining this trip. And I knew that it was going to be a painful one because the mission was led by Nadia Matar. Have you heard of Nadia Matar? She started the sovereignty movement, used to be called Women in Green. And, uh, you know, we we're going to be traveling throughout East Jerusalem to see and experience how it's being taken over by jihadists and foreign European governments and see how our beloved Jerusalem, the object of our, of our dreams and our prayers that we've been yearning for and pining away for, for thousands of years is being, is being desecrated. The Jews are walking fearfully through the city as jihadists are walking fearless in a, a threatening manner. Uh, it, it's just such a it's such a horrible thing, and um, and they just they want our death and our destruction, and the Jews just it's difficult to summon emotions like that, and uh, so I knew it was going to be painful, and it was. But you know, emerging from the the holiness of this last week, the the blessing and just the raw beauty of the past few days at the farm, and the over just the blessings are so overwhelming that it really put it all in a different light for me and it was a radically different experience than i believe it would have been otherwise because rather than feeling hopeless i found myself feeling hopeful because you know we've discussed this before in the fellowship that there's a balance in the world and our sages tell us that when jerusalem flourishes rome falls and when rome is rises and jerusalem falls that uh and and you know there's after this week of just overwhelming blessing flowing down from the heavens today as we were surrounded by Arabs screaming and cursing at us and threatening with violence. It was horrible. Their anger and their rage and their hate, for some reason, it appeared in my eyes as, as, as fear and desperation and weakness. And I found myself unfazed and unshaken by this, just their screaming rage. It was like a, a temper tantrum that they were having. And there was this, uh, I felt a certain steadfast confidence within me that I felt like it, it could only be from Hashem. Okay, so let's go to talk about the brachot, right? The blessings that came down this week. So uh, it's hard to know where to start, but I think the best place would be the night before the circumcision at this small, beautiful, ancient ceremony called the Brit Yitzchak, the covenant of Yitzchak, of Isaac. So the idea is that the baby is about to undergo the most you know, exalted spiritual experience of his life. So there may be forces that are seeking to undermine that, right? There's balances in the world. So, you know, one of the explanations that are given is to, to counteract those negative spiritual forces. And so all the children in the village come to the new baby the night before the circumcision, 
and the uh, grown-ups, the adults, that's us, I guess, we shelter the baby under the protection of the talit, right, of the prayer shawl, and we sing psalms and prayers and blessings, which culminate in the holy words of, of the Shema. So here's just a few seconds from the 25 minutes that we were singing. So here we are. So it was butchered. There was 25 minutes there of blessings and prayers. If anyone wants, I could send you the, the link to that. But, um, you know, we were singing it. We started off singing Hamalach Hagoeloti, right, uh, from Genesis 49. I sing it to Dvash every night. The angel who redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads and let my name be named on them. And the name of the fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. I don't know if that slide popped up, but uh, you know, that's, that's, we sing that every single night to our children. And then the beautiful uh, prayer, we can move on from that one, Tabitha. Um, that's uh, the song goes, we sing this as we light the Shabbat candles and we blessed my son, all of us. May we merit to raise children and grandchildren, intelligent, understanding, and wise. I translated this. I hope it's accurate. Who love the Lord and fear him, people of truth, the holy seed that cleave to Hashem. And may they illuminate the world with their Torah and their good deeds and all their labors be in service of Hashem. And so we were all singing this and blessing my son, my son, and, uh, and it was just so beautiful. I felt like the light and the blessing shining out to the world from the windows of my living. I felt like the temple, right, where the windows, the light shines out to the world from within the temple. That's what it felt like. It was just this moment of, of great beauty and love. And then the next day, right, the bris, the brit milah, the circumcision. I should say here that there are no words that could convey what transpired on our mountain that morning, but I'll try. And it was really great. We had fellowship members who actually were there that came and uh, at the risk of leaving some people out because it was a whirlwind. My head was spinning. So I sort of get relieved of any mistakes, but I made it. But Stanley and Evie Weiss from New York, they came to our mountain for the bris. Joy was there and Marion was there. And I think there were others there from our fellowship. And that just gave me such joy that we had physical representation there from the fellowship. So that was beautiful. But anyways... Of course, you know, the Moel, the, the uh, rabbi that performs the circumcision, he was late, like well over a half hour late. And I don't know how many people were there, 200, 250, 300, we didn't count, but I was getting wound up. And then my dear friend of Judy who reminded me of the words that we actually learned together last week, that the baby is circumcised at eight days. So we remember that it transcends logic. It's beyond logic. He's a little tiny infant. He doesn't understand what's going on. We don't understand. We don't understand. We surrender to Hashem and we recognize that he's in charge, which I did. And the Moyle arrived when he arrived, when he was meant to arrive. And I used that extra time with my talit over my head, immersed in prayer. And it ended up being a real blessing. I needed that extra time. Anyways, and then, uh, you know, he finally arrived and Shana handed the baby over to the kvater, 
the kvater, the kvater is traditionally this is a couple who's praying for children and hasn't been blessed with them yet. So being the kvater, you know, handing the baby between the mother and the father is an omen to, to bless them with children. So Shana handed it to Rivka and Rivka handed the baby to Micha, her husband that they're, you know, praying for children. And then Micha handed the baby to me. And, uh, and I looked down at this beautiful, innocent little face and just the rest of the world just disappeared. And that's when I pronounced the blessing over his circumcision as the Moyle was performing it. I, I can't go through all of the steps and everything that happened, but he was performing it as my agent, meaning I appointed him because it's my mitzvah, it's my commandment, not his. He's my emissary, and it's as if I'm doing it myself when I appoint him. And then I pronounced the blessing of thanksgiving, which is really the ultimate blessing of being fully present in the moment. Right? So you, you'll, you'll see that right here. <laughs> Blessed you, our Lord, our God, King of the universe, who granted us life and sustained us and allowed us to arrive at this very moment. And everyone said, Amen. And as you could hear, you know, I, I don't know if you could hear because there's something up with the volume on the computer here, but my still unnamed, sweet, innocent son, his cries, I feel like they pierced the heavens. It was, it was difficult and I felt my knees getting weak, uh, but somewhere deep inside me, there was a voice that right then, like it said, no, this is not a time for mortality. <laughs> this is not a time for weakness. This is a time for strength. And this is a time for faith. My son is entering into the covenant of Avram Avinu, of Abraham, our forefather. This is a moment of transcendence and, and not of fear, a moment of love and, and of blessing. And then my beloved friend and Rebbe, Rebbe Shlomo Katz, filled the room with the beautiful melody of his voice as he proclaimed my son's name for the first time into the world. And I brought a little piece of paper where I wrote it so he would read it and not maybe mishear me. So here it is. I can't really hear it, but from looking at your faces, it looks like you were able, you were able to hear what he said. So uh, to hear his name pronounced in the world in such a beautiful way, just it was a song. He was a, he was a song. And, and then came the singing and the blessings and so many blessings. And the truth is that my memory uh, really alternates between being sort of an out-of-body lucidity and almost like blacking out, like overloading, like I don't really know what I remember and, and what I don't. And um, and while while we did have reasons to uh, to share to share the name, right? Shane and I wanted to share the name. Shane and I really we both knew the truth that we didn't really name our son, that Hashem named our son. We just delivered the name that Hashem put on our hearts because we prayed to Hashem that He would make the name clear to us, and the sign would be that it was the only name that we both felt at peace with, right? That we both loved that we both felt a, a wholeness, like a shlemut, like a shalom with. And while we each had different thoughts and ideas about different names that we discussed with each other, the name that we gave him was the only one that we both felt in our hearts. And, uh, and so in, in my experience, you know, the speech that I gave was quite unique in that it felt relatively incoherent. It, it was like, an, it, I was clearly an emotional mess, like in a good way. I'm pretty sure that my sister actually filmed the entire speech. So if anyone wants a private link to that, send me an email or WhatsApp or Telegram and I'll try to send it to you. Anyway, so I made it clear that the reasons we were giving for the name were an attempt at acquiring a, a little bit of understanding into the reason that we gave him the name that we did because we didn't know. We tried to make sense of the name that Hashem put on our hearts. 
And so what was that name? Shiloh Netzach. Shiloh Netzach. So let's start with Shiloh. Um, as you know, the mention of the name Shiloh is the city where the tabernacle first dwelled, the famous story where Hannah, right, the barren wife of Elkanah, she was pained and aggrieved beyond words at her desire for a child, right? Panina, the other wife of Elkanah, had all of these children, and she was barren, and she was inconsolable. And she goes, she goes to the tabernacle to pray, and she's praying with such fervor that Eli, the high priest, who, by the way, ready for this? He left the world, his Uritzite, he left the world on the 10th of ER, which is the very date that my son was born, which in our minds was just further tying us to this name. Anyways, Ellie accuses her of being intoxicated. And she corrects him and says she's not intoxicated, but her soul yearns for a son that she will dedicate to Hashem. And long story short, Ellie blesses her that a son will indeed be born to her and that she will dedicate him to, to Hashem. And that son, as we all know, is who? Shmuel, Samuel the prophet. So Shiloh is a place where prayers are answered. And, um, and indeed, when, when Shiloh was being formed in Shana's womb, we did spend an entire day in Shiloh, in the city of Shiloh, at the very site of the tabernacle, where Shana and I sat there, hand in hand, praying for a son, a healthy son, and I think that probably also sort of infused that meaning into his name. I hope I'm not going on too much here. Okay, so the word itself, by the way, Shiloh, comes from Shai Lo, right? A, a gift for him, a gift for Hashem, right? And Shana and I are both fully aware of the gift that, uh, from Hashem that Shiloh is in our lives and in our hearts. And it's our greatest desire when we dig as deep as we can, both of us, it's our greatest desire that we raise him is our gift to Hashem in return, right? Just as Hannah did with Shmuel, Shiloh, Shiloh, a gift for him. It's our gift back to Hashem. And then there's the verse in Genesis 49, which I didn't mention the speech because it's too intense. And I didn't want to put any pressure on my young son when he watches the video of the speech and says, whoa. <laughs> but the verse that echoes in my soul is from Genesis 49. The staff shall not depart from Judah nor the scepter from between his feet, until Shiloh come, and to him shall the obedience of the people be. And so the, the sages of Israel, Targum Unclus, explain that Shiloh is another name for Mashiach, Messiah, that Shiloh is one of those names, Messiah, which contextually it makes sense within that verse. And, and he explains that Mashiach, the Mashiach that we're praying for in some sense, will rule forever, Lenetzah, right? Which brings me to the rest of his name. It's not his middle name because that's sort of a Western construct. It's his full. His name is Shiloh Netzach. And so the name Netzach, we, de we definitely de really didn't choose that either. It was chosen for us because Shiloh came into the world on the 25th day of the Omer, right? Exactly halfway through the Omer. And the Sfirah, right? The attribute, Jeremy's taught a lot about the attributes and what they are. We're not going to go into the details. But the attribute of that day is Netzach Shebenetzach. Right, it's often it's like Hod Shebenetzach, Tifer Shebenetzach, and if it was just Netzach was the week, I probably we wouldn't have given him the name, but it was the day and the week Netzach Shebenetzach. It's very unique, and uh, it's 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 like the internal and external manifestation of the attribute of Netzach. I don't want to get too abstract here, but but uh, you know Netzach, what does it mean? It's sort of hard to translate. It's it's in the family of endurance and tenacity and eternity or even victory. Right, menatzeh, lenatzeh means victory. And while I feel like I haven't even scratched the surface of his name, you know, the basic surface level is that it's a name which summons, for me, it summons the idea of Mashiach, the yearning for Mashiach. It's a name of redemption. And may he live up to it. Please, Hashem. Shiloh Netzach. May he live up to his name. And may he never, ever know fear of man. May he only know fear of Hashem. May his fear of Hashem overwhelm him. And the only thing that should transcend that fear of Hashem is his love for Hashem. Okay, so I, I want to say a lot more, but I'm acutely aware that I'm hijacking Jeremy's entire fellowship. And I sort of hear him grunting and making noises behind me. I don't know if that's in his head, in my head. But, uh, but I need to add one more thing. I need to. I told Jeremy I was, even though we touched on it already, but, you know, usually in the normal distribution of blessings in life, what I'm about to share with you would qualify as having its entire own fellowship. But for this past week, the week of blessings, it's just what happened on Thursday. 
the day after his circumcision. So Jeremy touched on it a little bit, but here's the story in a nutshell. Over Passover, the, the holiday of redemption, right? We were flooded with all of these holy guests from Israel, from all over the world. And one of them, he's this generous, humble philanthropist. I had no idea who he was. He's from the US. His name is Nati Klein. And he was so moved that he wanted to be a part of what we're doing. And he decided he wanted to dedicate a Torah scroll to the Arugot farm and elevate even further the level of holiness and sanctity which infuses our sacred mountain in Judea. And so he did. And so he did. And the day after my son joined the covenant of Abraham, a brand new pristine Torah scroll was dedicated. Now, this is not a small thing, right? It takes a, a trained scribe up to a full year of full-time work to complete a Torah scroll. It can cost 50, 60, $70,000 more than that. And it was upon his heart to dedicate this scroll and transform our house of prayer to a full-fledged full house of prayer, a, a, a synagogue, a Beit Knesset as well. The entire mountain was just buzzing in anticipation. We just couldn't believe the blessing that was falling upon us. And as things happen on our mountain, like Jeremy said, necessity breeds invention, right? You remember when Jeremy threw nearly his entire life savings into bringing the water lines out to the farm? Well, he needed to do that because the trees were planted. And if he didn't do that, they would have died. So that's how things happen. Well, we were about to receive a Torah. And so we immediately launched into this complete, you know, to complete the ark before the scroll was to arrive. And our, our dear friend, Asher Friedberg, he'd never made an ark before. Never before. And uh, along with Yossi, our partner, you know, Hashem just blessed their hands like B'Tzalel, you know, in, in the construction of the tabernacle. His hands were blessed. And they created this masterpiece. Tabitha, could you show it? I don't know if it's the same picture Jeremy showed. I couldn't see. But anyways, you know, the day arrived and a yeshiva came out and joined us in the celebration. It started off with Ktivat Otiyot, right? The writing of the letters in which we merited to finish off the actual letters of the text and take part in writing the Torah. Here's some, uh, some videos of just, you know, Jeremy. I don't know if Jeremy knows that I caught him. That's me for finishing off one of the letters there. And then uh, Jeremy finishes off one of the letters. It's really beautiful. Anyways, um, there, was a, there was a chuppah over. It was like a wedding, right? There was a chuppah just like over the heads of a bride and groom at their wedding. And we danced and we danced. And here's some of the footage of the dancing. I'm just trying to bring you into it. So Tabitha, can you play the video of the, of the dancing? I don't know if oh, here. Anyway, guys, um, thank you, Ari, for all of that. Thank you for um joining us on the journey of this farm. Okay, so now we're shifting directions from the celebrations of the farm and now going a little bit into the future of the farm. There's just so much that's going on. And um, I wanna just share one more thing with you. We started a campaign to build all of the infrastructure for the Aru Goat Farm. We started it a couple of weeks ago, three weeks ago, I believe. And it was sort of like a soft launch and we're sort of building momentum and slowly going. And now the last two weeks are starting. And everyone, all the experts tell us that the last two weeks are the most important of the two weeks. And it just so happens in perfect timing. We finished our campaign video and we're going to launch it tomorrow to the world. And so my plan is to go through my phone and send this video to every single person that I've ever met in my life. I'm going to just sit on my phone and just send and send and send and send and send. And then some people will love it. Some people may ignore it. Some people might share it, but that's my job. And so that's what I'm going to be doing. But before I sent it out into the world, I sort of wanted to rally the troops here. And I wanted to share it with all of you first. And so I worked really hard on this video because it's hard to sort of bring the heart and soul of the Arugot farm in our mission and our story in you know a short YouTube video that we can just share with others. So it was really, really difficult to sort of, I don't know, bring it into focus. But this is as good as I could do. And so I really hope you enjoyed. I would love to hear your feedback. And then starting tomorrow, we have two weeks left. And it's like the finish line. And hopefully we're already almost 40% there. So hopefully the last two weeks, we're going to really strike while the iron is hot. And 
hopefully we'll light it up. So here's our campaign video. I hope you like it. Have you ever been to Judea? Well, consider this an invitation because I could try to describe it to you in words, but it'd just be impossible. The Judean mountains in eastern Gush Etzion were abandoned and lost for 2,000 years. They were undeveloped and inaccessible even after the Jewish return to the land of Israel. The situation in Judea and Samaria is not simple. This year alone, it's estimated that the state of Israel lost 60,000 dunams of state land to Arab encroachment, illegal building, and theft. The Arugot farm was created originally to serve as a shield, as a bridge between the small Jewish villages in the area while guarding and preserving Israel's state land that sprawls from the Judean mountains all the way to the Dead Sea. Three and a half years ago, I moved here with my wife and six children to establish the Arugot farm at the edge of Jewish settlement in Judea. And we wanted to do our part. The challenges here have been overwhelming at times. As if settling the mountains at the edge of the desert wasn't hard enough, we've been threatened, robbed, attacked, protested against, smeared in the media. We've been falsely sued in Israel's Supreme Court that thrust us into legal battles and lawyer fees. So for the first year here, we were pretty much living on this mountain alone. No neighbors, no security, no toilets. Our house was powered by an extension cord. Jeremy barely slept at night for the first few months. He was up the whole night guarding our home. We could never leave Shabbat, holidays, it was 24-7, no breaks. We didn't know what the move exactly would do to our children, what would it do to our marriage, financially would we make it, emotionally were we going to make it. And it was hard and it was scary, but we're still here. We're still building. My family and I have been living in Ibea Nachal for almost six years. I can say clearly that the Arugot farm has absolutely shifted the dynamics on the ground here. The community here was stuck inside the fence and seeing the Arugot farm and what Jeremy and Ari do with their flocks and their agriculture really empowers us. They've brought tourism, agriculture, and a new life to the mountains. After arriving here, I realized that our presence in these mountains has nothing to do with strategy or security or politics. This is about a love story between a people and a land, between the nation of Israel and the land of Israel. Now that we're back in the land of our fathers, we can finally assume our role as being a light unto the nations. You read our most precious scriptures written thousands of years ago in the desolate mountains abandoned in Judea, south of Jerusalem. Coming out here and seeing what we're doing, you can't help but feel Jewish destiny here. When people experience this place, when they encounter these mountains, when they see a generation of indigenous Judean children harvesting grapes, making olive oil, tending to sheep, just as our ancestors did centuries ago in these very same hills, when they see all of that happening before their eyes, it does something to the soul that you just can't describe. You can't put it into words. You have to experience it yourself. Our families have given all that they have to accomplish this mission. And now we're reaching out to you to bring us to victory. We can't do this alone. Generous donors have committed to triple every dollar given toward this campaign in matching funds if we're successful. With Hashem's help, with your help, we'll be able to complete all of the physical infrastructure, the gardens, the lighting, the parking, the legal zoning and licensing to allow us to host events, weddings, conferences, festivals, and everything properly and legally. We're going to bring the world to Judea. Who knows how far this will take us? Invest in the startup of the Judean frontier. Please click on the link below and join us in settling the land of Israel. So what did you guys think? Yay, okay, that's good. All right, that's really good responses. I like to see that. That's really nice. That really, it looks like a simple video, but that was a lot. There was a lot that went into that. That was really good. And thank God for Tehillah. She's always there for us. <laughs>
<laughs> and you can tell she is always there for us. She now finally, we're going to get into the learning part of the fellowship. Up until now, it was like catching everyone up, getting everyone involved. And now it's time to bring the Torah from our hearts, uh, from our heads into our hearts. And so I want to invite Tehillah on because this was such a beautiful Torah. And it really, um, she told me about it this morning. And it was what I've been thinking about all of Shabbat since I took the sheep out in the morning. And so clearly that's the message that Hashem wanted us to share today. So here is our scholar in residence. Hi guys. Today I want to talk about the Haftorah of the portion of Bechukotai, which we read that we read this Shabbat in Israel yesterday. And people outside of Israel, you guys are going to be reading this next week. This is in Jeremiah, starting at the very end of chapter 16 and going on towards the middle of chapter 17. It's a really beautiful Haftorah on the subject of living a life of faith and trust in Hashem. So in chapter 17, verse 5, it says, So says the Lord, Cursed is the one who trusts in men and makes flesh his arm and whose heart turns away from the Lord. So what is going to happen to a person who just puts faith in human beings, maybe in themselves, and doesn't put their trust in Hashem? It says, He shall be like a lone tree in the plain. He will not see when good comes and will dwell on parched land in the desert, on salt, sodden soil that is not habitable. This is going to be like a dry, withered up tree on salty earth. But, verse 7, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. The Lord shall be his trust, for he shall be like a tree planted by the water, and by a river spreads his roots, and will not see when the heat comes, and its leaves shall be green. And in the year of drought, it will not be anxious, neither shall it cease from bearing fruit. Now, it's interesting. In the English translation, it says, He will not see when heat comes. But you know, the Hebrew word for see is very similar to the Hebrew word for fear. So the way it's written in the prophecy is actually yaret. Like you could read it as saying you will not fear when heat comes. And I think that's a better translation because it's parallel to the next part of the verse, which says he won't be anxious when a drought comes. What struck me here is kind of this, how surprising this is. If I was trying to sell people on the whole religion thing, I would say, trust in God, things will go great for you. You don't trust in God, watch out. You are going to be miserable. Terrible things are going to happen to you, but it doesn't say that. Hashem doesn't sell us a bill of goods. Look how brutally honest the prophet is here. In this parable of trees, he's saying a person who does not trust in Hashem, he will have good times. And a person of trust in Hashem will have bad times. He will have drought, heat. So then what is the difference? Why bother? The prophet is explaining to us that our internal posture, our trust or lack thereof, will change not what happens to us externally, but our subjective experience of it. Look at verse 6 on the man who doesn't trust in God and only trusts in man. That's a person who's living in a consciousness that all we have is ourselves. And it says, he shall be in a, a, like a lone tree in the plain and will not see when good comes. Meaning it doesn't mean that good is not coming to this unfaithful person good is coming but he won't see meaning it's not that you're cursed that good things don't come but when good things come through your own attitude you don't even see it you see everything through the lens of nature through human eyes and not through a god consciousness not in the lens of emunah faith you don't even feel it you don't appreciate it so you're bringing this on yourself it's not a punishment it's just a natural outcome if you live in faith and in trust of Hashem, you see good things as a blessing, then you're going to be grateful and cherish them. You don't, if you don't see them that way, they're just going to pass you as trivial. Like if you see children and pregnancy as a blessing from Hashem, your attitude towards the value of, let's say, the life of a fetus, something that's being discussed a lot these days in you know public discourse and media, is going to be really different than if you just see it as accidental cells that clump together, right? That's just an example. The way that you look at a certain goodness that comes to your life as a blessing or just as a coincidence is going to change your whole attitude. So the good comes even to the person who doesn't trust in Hashem, but they don't see it as a gift from Hashem. But now look in verse eight about the person who does trust in Hashem. He shall be like a tree planted by the water. And I'm gonna say he will not fear when heat comes and will not be anxious in the year of drought neither shall he cease to bear fruit. Let's look at that for a second. What is the worst thing that can happen to a tree in this parable, if not heat and drought? And we're not talking about a month of drought. 
The prophet specifies a year of drought, like that's a very long time, meaning no one is promising you the moon and the stars when you have faith. As people of faith, we will experience not only the most difficult things, but also for sustained periods of time. But what will our internal posture be as a result of trusting in Hashem? A totally different experience. Whereas the person of trust, a person who lacks trust doesn't even manage to properly experience the good. And now like imagine how, if you can't even experience the good, imagine how he experiences the bad. It'll knock him right on his bottom. When a person of trust in Hashem experiences something difficult, they will have the ability to weather it because of their attitude through their inner through the inner perspective of trust we can weather the ups and the downs of life totally differently both the good and the bad in the good we can be grateful and cherish the blessing and in the difficulty we stand strong because like the tree planted by water our roots go deep and we're drawing strength from something greater than ourselves and what is the metric to know if you're living that life the prophet tells us that too. Look what the tree does in this parable. And the one who's compared to the man of trust in Hashem, it's not anxious and it doesn't cease to bear fruit. What is fruit? A person of no trust in Hashem in hard times hunkers down and says, well, I need to keep my resources to myself. A person of trust, of trust knows that they are not the source of what they have. They have another source that is infinitely abundant. So even in drought, they never stop bearing fruit. Think about a tree. If you have a tree in your garden, you know that the first thing that happens if you don't water your tree and you don't fertilize your tree, it's going to stop bearing fruit or the fruit will be all shriveled up, right? Because it doesn't have enough nutrients to give to the fruit. It'll keep it for itself, for its survival. Here the prophet is telling us how to measure. Are you living a life of faith? You know, I heard a story this past Holocaust Memorial Day about a person who survived the Holocaust as an infant. Their pa her, her parents were killed, but a 12-year-old girl found this baby and hid the baby she was only 12 years old, giving the baby from her tiny rations of food and kept this baby alive. And you think, how could a person in such a state of lacking and want find it in their heart to share with someone else? But that is the measurement. If even in the hard times you are managing to keep on giving, it brings me back to the book of Ruth that we studied together last year, which we're going to be reading on Shavuot in just a couple weeks, where you see from Ruth who lost everything. She lost her husband, she lost her homeland, she's all alone, but she takes all of her energy to focus on helping her mother-in-law, making a name for her deceased husband. That's what the prophet is telling us. It connects so deeply to the Torah portion where we learn that our outlook is what will define our relationship with Hashem. So if we are in a state of trust, Hashem will act giving, you know, will act in, in, in kind with us. And if we are in a state of giving, Hashem will continue to give to us. And I know Jeremy's gonna talk about this more. So now, okay, prophet Jeremiah, I'm sold. I wanna live a life like that, but how do you do that? You know, being a believer in God is not all that Jeremiah is talking about. There's faith, which is emunah in Hebrew, but there is what the prophet is talking about, which is something a little bit different. It's bitachon, it's trust. Now the Torah commands us to believe in Hashem. That's the first commandment, I am the Lord your God. But where is the instruction manual on living in trust? I don't know where it is, it's difficult. How do you live like that? So the Netivot Shalom says, when Hashem sent Moshe to go back to Egypt and tell the Israelites, Hashem is going to redeem you. He says, but they won't believe me that God appeared to me. And he has this careful reading. He says, they don't say, the Torah doesn't say that Moshe is afraid that the people will say, oh, who's God? I don't believe in God. We don't believe in God. Moshe is nervous that they're going to say, God didn't appear to you with the promise of redemption. Meaning they knew that there was God. They believed in the existence of God, but they didn't have trust that this particular promise is real. So that means you can live a life of believing in Hashem without trust. So now where's the manual for trust? The Netivot Shalom points out that there are different examples of trust in Hashem that we can draw inspiration from. He said, it's not enough to know that God exists, but you have to live like the prophet is telling us, how do we do that? So he brings the quintessential example of living this way from Rabbi Akiva. There's a famous story about Rabbi Akiva. He was traveling, he was on the road, and he comes to this town. No one will give him a place to stay. But he says, okay, everything Hashem does is for the best. And then he goes out into the field to sleep in the field in the wilderness. And every possible mishap happens to him. His candle gets blown out by the wind and he's stuck in the dark. But he says, okay, whatever Hashem does is for the best. And then his chicken gets eaten and his donkey gets eaten. And everything that he basically had with him is lost. But he just says, okay, whatever Hashem does is for the best. And long story short, he finds out in the morning that the town 
he wanted to sleep in had been ransacked by bandits. And had he been there, he would have been in danger. And had they seen his candle in the field, he would have been in danger. And had they heard his donkey or his chicken, they might have found him. So we have stories like that, all of us, right? Where we thought we knew how things should be, but it turned out that Hashem had an even better plan for us than we could have imagined ourselves. So the Netibot Shalom says that the trust that Jeremiah is talking about is the ability to connect dots, to look at seemingly random things that happen to us and seek the connection, see what path Hashem has taken us on in the past by moving this and moving that and changing this and changing that, even things that we thought might have been bad at the time and see how all that came together in our lives to lead us to an even better place. He says that is the water that we draw on in the Jeremiah parable of the tree to take nourish from, nourishment from when we need that element of trust in Hashem. And we get to those times where things are difficult. We draw from those hard times where we know in the past that Hashem connected the dots for us and did all of this for us to bring us to where we needed to be. So I was lucky enough to have amazing guests for Shabbat. Sometimes I say to myself that the fringe benefit of being married to Jeremy is the people I get to meet. Because if I had been left to my own devices without Jeremy, I guarantee you I would be truly a normal, boring person. I would go to work and I would come home and I would meet people more or less like me. But since I've had the blessing of following Jeremy's crazy life, like let's move to the desert and start a farm, okay. Well, I've always had to buckle up and hold on tight, but the fringe benefit is meeting a huge range of marvelous people who do so much to help Israel and that I learn from, I learn new things from all the time. So I was sharing with my friends that came for Shabbat that I've been going through an internal struggle trying to figure out how to kind of manage and juggle all the different things in my life that sometimes I feel like I am driving myself to exhaustion. And she said something that I really, uh, was that really connected to me, for me to this Haftorah. And she shared this beautiful practice that she has. Because, you know, I love to bring things down into the practical. So I'll finish with this. She said, everyone, but especially moms, I'm sure are really going to understand me on this, but I think it's true for everyone, that we experience this constant, like, demand from the world. Give, give, give. There's always this, like, need to be giving. You know, you can really relate to that tree. Just like, give more fruit. Give, give, give. Your kids need you to give. People. Everyone wants you to be doing something for them. And exactly sometimes when you're at your breaking point and you're at point and that's what's okay, that's all I can handle. Someone's like, uh, we need you to do this. It really reminds me of that tree in the drought that's like gasping for water, but it still is needing to give a little more fruit, right? So where do you draw strength from when you feel all dried up? So she said that in those moments of feeling overwhelmed and everything is swirling around in your head and you feel like, oh, I just can't manage this. That's when you're in a space of, it's all on me. You're being the first tree. You're the one who's just trusting in yourself and thinking, this is all my responsibility. You can fall so easily into this trap, even when you believe in Hashem, of thinking like, okay, so much to do. This is all on me. I have to solve this. So she said, whenever she sees a problem, she says, you know, like, okay, I need to deal with this. She just says, okay, Hashem, I'm going to turn this into a prayer. I'm noticing, you know, in my child, this kind of concerning thing. Hashem, are you noticing that? Well, of course you're noticing that. You're God, right? Just please put on my heart the right action to do or the right words to say that I should know what to do. And then it kind of gives you that relief that this is not on me. I'm not alone. So I'm not overwhelmed because there's an infinite source of wisdom and abundance that's with me in this. So I thought that was a beautiful and inspiring, practical way of putting this Haftorah's lesson uh, into practice. So thank you, Brandy, for that great idea. And so with that, I wish everybody a beautiful week filled with both faith, and trust in Hashem. Bye, everyone. Thank you, Tehillah. <laughs> you are so loved and appreciated. And thank you for constantly teaching me and teaching us and being an inspiration to us and a pillar for us. And I just, the more time I spend on this planet, the more I am absolutely convinced that the prophets of Israel gave us sage advice. Our consciousness absolutely creates the reality in which we live. And there's a law of concentration. What we concentrate on grows. That's why military soldiers are told stories about courage and responsibility, loyalty and camaraderie. Because, you know, the more you think about those things, then when the time comes as a soldier, you'll you'll behave in that way. And that's what King David wrote in the mountains of the Aragod farm. Shiviti Hashem lenegdi tamid. I place Hashem before my eyes all the time. I'm constantly thinking about how to be better, how to be good. And if you're learning Torah or reading books that make you a better person, you're focusing on building up your greatest asset, which is you. 
and you're learning about the great heroes of the past. And that those ideas, they, they enter into our being. They, they enter into our subconscious. They enter into our hearts. And there's another way of being in the world. That's not to trust in the Lord, like Jeremiah says. But it's like the modern secular world becomes just so cynical. And the Torah in this week's Torah portion talks about what will happen then. In Leviticus chapter 26, which is Hashem's name, on verse 26, which is the numeric value of Hashem's name. And so let's pay attention to Vayikra, that God is calling out to us in the book of Leviticus. Vayikra is calling out to us, chapter 26, verse 26. And this is what it says. Can we get this, the thing up on the screen? Is that possible? Get that? Don't? Nope. Chapter 26, verse 26. No, no screen. Okay. Oh, well, I'll just say it then without that up on the screen. But you guys should check it later because it's really quite important. And it says, if you walk with me in casualness, I will walk with you with the fury of casualness. Thank you very much. That's very important. I want you guys to see this. Now, um, the King James Version, which is usually really a really good translation for the most part, um, it says, after all this, if you do not obey me, but walk contrary to me, then I will also walk contrary to you in fury. But that translation there is really missing the mark here. And I want to keep this slide up for a while. The word contrary, I think the better translation is casualness, because the word in Hebrew is carry. And carry comes from the word mikre, which means an, an occurrence, a happenstance, a coincidence, a chance. And why does the word carry mean chance or coincidence? It means it comes from the root of the word kar. The first two letters there, kuf and resh, are cold. And if you look at the universe and you just see the cosmos and the stars and there's the endless galaxies upon, the universe can look very cold. And if the universe is cold, then nothing here really matters. It's just happenstance. It's just coincidence. It's just by chance. And if you start living in that consciousness, and that's what you concentrate on, that you're just going to live as if the world is just random. There is no God. There is no destiny. There is no purpose. It's just a cold, chance universe. Then what does Hashem say? Hashem doesn't say, you know what? I'm going to punish you. He's like, okay, no problem. I'm going to walk in casualness or in chance with you. And the Hebrew there is really interesting because the word fury is translated as hamat keri. And ham means hot, but it also means fury. It also means anger. And it's like, you want chance? I've given this world freedom. And you can choose good and you can choose evil. And this world has the full spectrum. And humanity has proven that quite well. We've seen Mother Teresa and we've seen Adolf Hitler. And you can choose in a very wide spectrum. But if you choose to live in chance, then what you're going to experience in this world is chamat carry. You're going to see, no, no, no. It's really going to be chanced. And that casualness, what it's teaching us is just a law of cause and effect. If you want to see the world in chance, then God will respond to you and say, okay, no problem. I'll be with you in chance. And that's why there are staunch atheists and they're ready to debate about how they believe there is no God. Because if you want to hold that awareness, God will respond to you in that awareness. And in your life, that's what you'll see. And in your life, that's how the reality around you will respond. If you want to be casual and you want to do it in happenstance, your life will be filled with happenstance and coincidence. And if you want to live in trust and in faith, your life will be filled with spice carts, providence, guidance. And for me, when I bring it all the way down, what is the common thread. I think about this all the time because Abraham was the first Jew, apparently, but he wasn't a Jew, obviously, because there were no Jews in the time of Abraham. He was called a Hebrew, but he's the first one. He's the father of all of us. He's the father of our faith. And then there was Moses. Moses had a law. Abraham didn't even have a law. So Moses all of a sudden comes onto the picture, a totally new type of faith. And then there's temple Judaism where they're sacrificing animals. And there's a temple with priests and Levites. 
And then after the, the temple is destroyed, there's a whole new thing. Christianity is born based off Abraham's faith. And then the Talmud is bo born and rabbinic Judaism is born. And all of a sudden now we're in 2022 and we look all the way back and it's like, wow, those were totally different expressions of a single faith. But what is the common thread in those faiths? What is the spirit that brings Abraham through Moses, through the temple, through the destruction, all the way until today in Zoom Fellowship 2022 around the world? What is that common faith? And if I had to put it, uh, there, there, there are many, but one that is maybe the pillar is we can live a guided life, just like Abraham was guided in his life. He lived in a relationship with God. Moses gave us tools of how to really tune it, that we ourselves would become an antenna. If you stay on the path of the righteousness, that reception becomes a lot easier. If we're stooped in sin and we're slaves to our impulses and our bodies and we're out of control and our body is taken over, then our soul, which is our receptor to receive divine guidance, it makes it a lot harder. But if we want to, we can live a guided life. And if we want to, we can walk with God in casualness, in happenstance, and in chance, and God will respond to us in happenstance, and in chance, and in carry. And there's this beautiful ancient Indian story, an American Indian story that I was told. I just read it a few days ago. And it says that um, a father tells his son that there are two wolves that sit on your shoulder, a white wolf telling you to be upright, honest, and courageous, and a black wolf telling you to fear and to lie. And the boy asks his father, which wolf is stronger in me? And the father answers, the one you feed becomes the strongest one. If we feed the weakness, the lies, the trickery, the dark side, the dark side will become stronger. If we walk in chance, chance will happen upon us. But if we walk in the light, and we strengthen our soul, and we open our eyes, we'll see spice carts. If we open our hearts, we'll receive guidance, and we can live in harmony with our surroundings, where we don't just feel like a leaf blowing randomly in the wind, but we're actually being guided in our life, because the world outside is windy, and it will take us to the new thing, monkeypox. That's the new thing that everyone's talking about in Israel now. We're done with corona. Now we got the monkeypox. Great. Wonderful. And there's winds that will blow us to, to just constant chaos on the outside. But our life philosophy, our belief, the way that we choose to see the world has the power like a sail to take us in the direction that we want to go. No matter where the winds are blowing, we can navigate our way. And those winds will actually guide us if we are in tune. And, you know, when I was younger, I think a lot of people felt this way blame everything else. It's the government's fault. It's the Republicans' fault. It's the Democrats' fault. It's the capitalist's fault. It's interest rates. It's the banks. It's the system. It's my parents. It's my culture. It's my circumstances. All of that, those are just the winds of the outside. Everything, everything, everything is determined in our life by what's happening on the inside. And this is one of the deepest teachings of the Hebrew language. The word for life philosophy is called hashkafa. Can we put that up on the screen, please, so they could see the words in Hebrew? Hashkafa means how you see the world. And mashkif also means to look out, but it also means to reflect. And what the Hebrew is teaching us there is your life philosophy, how you choose to look at the world, just like what Leviticus 26, 26 says, the world will reflect back to you. And if your life philosophy is of light, light will come back to you. And if your life philosophy is chance, get ready because it will be chemat keri. Chance can go really bad. And so the thread and the blessing that all of us really should strive for to never like lose that is to really aim toward the good, to really try to keep our hashkafa aligned with the good to try to kind of bring guidance into our life and then to keep the legacy that has just built the most beautiful parts of the world, the most progress that's brought the most freedom to the world. Abraham through Moses, the temple, the Talmud, all the way until the civilization of 2020. And we can see once we leave that path, it can get very, very scary. 
It can become tyrannical. It can become evil. It can slip off the path so easily. And so it's incumbent upon us to bring the light and spread it as far as we can. And so may Hashem bless us to break free. Let our soul do the work. Let our character shine through. Let our virtues be a light for others around us. Let our souls be antennas to receive the messages and the guidances that we need in our life. And so fellowship, you should be blessed by all of the celebrations that we're celebrating together in Judea. You should be blessed from this mountain with the spirit of King David. And you should be blessed to make it to this land and to come visit our farm and to spend time with us as soon as possible. Yevarechecha Adonai v'yishmerecha, ya'er Adonai panav elecha v'yichunecha, yisa Adonai panav elecha v'yasem lecha shalom. May you all be blessed from Zion. Shalom, my friends. To join the Land of Israel Fellowship, to attend our live interactive Zoom sessions, to participate in the Fellowship Connection Q&A events, or even just to binge on past sessions, click on the link below or go to thelandofisrael.com backslash fellowship and join our family of hundreds of people from around the world broadcasting light from the land of Israel live from the Judean frontier.